of Human Bondage by W. Somerset Maugham, Chapter 78, Segment 1. At last, Monday came, and Philip thought his long torture was over. Looking out the trains, he found that the latest by which Griffiths could reach home that night left Oxford soon after one, and he supposed that Mildred would take one which started a few minutes later to bring her to London. His desire was to go and meet it, but he thought Mildred would like to be left alone for a day. Perhaps she would drop him a line in the evening to say she was back, and if not, he would call upon her lodgings the next morning. His spirit was cowed. He felt a bitter hatred for Griffiths, but for Mildred, notwithstanding all that had passed, only a heart-rending desire. He was glad now that Hayward was not in London on Saturday afternoon when, distraught, he went in search of human comfort. He could not have prevented himself from telling him everything, and Hayward would have been astonished at his weakness. He would despise him, and perhaps be shocked or disgusted that he could envisage the possibility of making Mildred his mistress after she had given herself to another man. What did he care if it was shocking or disgusting? He was ready for any compromise, prepared for more degrading humiliation still, if he could only gratify his desire. Towards the evening his steps took him against his will to the house in which she lived, and he looked up at her window. It was dark. He did not venture to ask if she was back. He was confident in her promise, but there was no letter from her in the morning, and when about midday he called, the maid told him that she had not arrived. He could not understand it. He knew that Griffiths would be obliged to go home the day before, for he was to be best man at a wedding, and Mildred had no money. He turned over in his mind every possible thing that might have happened. He went again in the afternoon and left a note, asking her to dine with him that evening as calmly as though the events of the last fortnight had not happened. He mentioned the place and time at which they were to meet, and hoping against hope, kept the appointment. Though he waited for an hour, she did not come. On Wednesday morning he was ashamed to ask at the house, and sent a messenger boy with the letter and instructions to bring back a reply. But in an hour the boy came back with Philip's letter unopened, and the answer that the lady had not returned from the country. Philip was beside himself. The last deception was more than he could bear. He repeated to himself over and over again that he loathed Mildred, and, ascribing to Griffiths this new disappointment, he hated him so much that he knew what was the delight of murder. He walked about considering what a joy it would be to come upon him in a dark night and stick a knife into his throat, just about the carotid artery, and leave him to die in the street like a dog. Philip was out of his senses with grief and rage. He did not like whiskey, but he drank him, but he drank to stupefy himself. He went to bed drunk on Tuesday and on Wednesday night. On Thursday morning he got up very late and dragged himself, blear-eyed and sallow, into his sitting-room to see if there were any letters. A curious feeling shot through his heart when he recognized the handwriting of Griffiths. "'Dear old man, I hardly know how to write to you, and yet I feel I must write.' I know you're not awfully angry with me. I know I oughtn't to have gone away with Millie, but I simply couldn't help myself. She simply carried me off my feet, and I would have done anything to get her. When she told me you had offered us the money to go, I simply couldn't resist. And now it's all over. I'm awfully ashamed of myself, and I wish I hadn't been such a fool. I wish you'd write and say you're not angry with me, and I want you to let me come and see you. I was awfully hurt at your telling Millie you didn't want to see me. Do write me a line, there's a good chap, 
and tell me you forgive me. It'll ease my conscience. I thought you wouldn't mind or you wouldn't have offered the money, but I know I oughtn't to have taken it. I came home on Monday, and Millie wanted to stay a couple of days at Oxford by herself. She's going back to London on Wednesday, so by the time you receive this letter, you will have seen her, and I hope everything will go off all right. Do write and say you forgive me. Please write at once. Yours ever, Harry. End of segment one. Chapter 78, Segment 2 Philip tore up the letter furiously. He did not mean to answer it. He despised Griffiths for his apologies. He had no patience with his prickings of conscience. One could do a dastardly thing if one chose, but it was contemptible to regret it afterwards. He thought the letter cowardly and hypocritical. He was disgusted at its sentimentality. It would be very easy if you could do a beastly thing he muttered to himself, and then say you were sorry, and that put it all right again. He hoped with all his heart he would have the chance one day to do Griffiths a bad turn. But at all events he knew Mildred was in town. He dressed hurriedly, not waiting to shave, drank a cup of tea, and took a cab to her rooms. The cab seemed to crawl. He was painfully anxious to see her, and unconsciously he uttered a prayer to the God he did not believe in to make her receive him kindly. He only wanted to forget. With beating heart he rang the bell. He forgot all his suffering and the passionate desire to enfold her once more in his arms. "'Is Mrs. Miller in?' he asked joyously. "'She's gone,' the maid answered. He looked at her, blankly. She came about an hour ago and took away her things. For a moment he did not know what to say. "'Did you give her my letter? Did she say where she was going?' Then he understood that Mildred had deceived him again. She was not coming back to him. He made an effort to save his face. Oh, well, I dare say I shall hear from her. She may have sent a letter to another address. He turned away and went back hopeless to his rooms. He might have known that she would do this. She had never cared for him. She made a fool of him from the beginning. She had no pity. She had no kindness. She had no charity. The only thing was to accept the inevitable. The pain he was suffering was horrible. He would sooner be dead than endure it, and the thought came to him that it would be better to finish with the whole thing. He might throw himself in the river or put his neck on a railway line, but he had no sooner set the thought into words that he rebelled against it. His reason told him that he would get over his un unhappiness in time. If he tried with all his might, he could forget her and it would be grotesque to kill himself on account of a vulgar slut. He had only one life, and it was madness to fling it away. He felt that he would never overcome his passion, but he knew that after all it was only a matter of time. He would not stay in London. There everything reminded him of his unhappiness. He telegraphed to his uncle that he was coming to Blackstable, and, hurrying to pack, took the first train he could. He wanted to get away from the sordid rooms in which he had endured so much suffering. He wanted to breathe clean air. He was disgusted with himself. He felt that he was a little mad. Since he was grown up, Philip had been given the best spare room at the vicarage. It was a corner room, and in front of one window was an old tree which blocked the view. But from the other you saw, beyond the garden and the vicarage field, broad meadows. 
Philip remembered the wallpaper from his earliest years. On the walls were quaint watercolors of the early Victorian period by a friend of the vicar's youth. They had a faded charm. The dressing table was surrounded by stiff muslin. There was an old tall boy to put your clothes in. Philip gave a sigh of pleasure. He had never realized that all those things meant anything to him at all. At the vicarage, life went on as it had always done. No piece of furniture had been moved from one place to another. The vicar ate the same things, said the same things, went for the same walk every day. He had grown a little fatter, a little more silent, a little more narrow. He had become accustomed to living without his wife and missed her very little. He bickered still with Josiah Graves. Philip went to see the church warden. He was a little thinner, a little whiter, a little more austere. He was autocratic still and still disapproved of candles on the altar. The shops had still a pleasant quaintness, and Philip stood in front of that in which things useful to seamen were sold, sea boots and tarpaulins and tackle, and remembered that he had felt there in his childhood the thrill of the sea and the adventurous magic of the unknown. End of segment two.